He was to remain the same perfect gentleman who had appeared on her doorstep years ago looking for what he had called a sanctuary without a telephone, even though she had a perfectly good one in the kitchen, and had paid her in advance six monthly ever since. Cash, cash, no receipts. Very faintly, Miss Dubber heard above the rattle of the wind the sound of singing. A man's voice, tuneless but agreeable. She thought it was green sleeves at first. The singing stopped of its own accord. Miss Dubber smiled. Now he's listening to me, she thought. That's my Mr. Canterbury all over. In Vienna, three hours earlier, Mary Pym, wife of Magnus, stood at her bedroom window and stared out upon a world which, in contrast to the one elected by her husband, was a marvel of serenity. She had been standing at the window in her blue twin set for an hour, waiting for the car, waiting for the doorbell, waiting for the soft turn of her husband's key in the latch. And now, in her mind, it was an unfair race between Magnus and Jack Brotherhood, which of them she would receive first. The telephone was ringing by the bed, his side. Don't run, you idiot, you'll fall. Not too slowly or he'll ring off. Magnus, darling, oh dear God, let it be you. You've had an aberration and you're better. I'll never ask what happened. I'll never doubt you again. It's me, said a man's voice. But it wasn't me. It was Jack Brotherhood. No word of that parcel, I suppose, Brotherhood asked. No word from anyone. Where are you? Be there in about an hour, less if I can. Wait for me, will you? She lit a cigarette and puffed out the uninhaled smoke in angry kisses. Then she poured herself a very large whiskey. Mary's Englishness, like Pym's, was unmistakable. She was blonde and strong-jawed and forthright. Mary's life was a record of fine deaths. Her grandfather had died at Passchendaele, her one brother Sam more recently in Belfast. All of her men had been soldiers. Between them they had left her with a decent inheritance, a fiercely patriotic soul, and a small manor house in Dorset. The rules of her life had been laid down for her before she entered it and had been entrenched with every death since. In Mary's family, the men campaigned while the women lent succor, mourned and carried on. Her worship, her dinner parties, her life with Pym had all been conducted on this same sturdy principle. Until last July. Until our holiday in Lesbos. Magnus, come home. I'm sorry I raised a stink at the airport when you didn't show up. I'm sorry I bellowed at the British Airways clerk in what you call my six-acre voice. And I'm sorry I waved my diplomatic pass around. And I'm sorry, I'm terribly sorry, I phoned Jack to say where the hell's my husband. So please, just come home and tell me what to do. Nothing matters. Just be here, now. Finding herself standing before the double doors to the dining room, Mary pushed them open, switched on the chandeliers, and, whiskey in hand, surveyed the long, empty table, glistening like a lake. Force your mind back, she thought. Get the whole story straight in your stupid little head before Jack Brotherhood rings that doorbell. Now. It is Wednesday, and our night for entertaining. It is dinner. It is the diplomatic happy hour. 
It is as good as Georgetown in the days when Magnus was still an upwardly mobile deputy head of the station with the post of chief of service squarely in his sights. And everything is mended between Magnus and Mary except for a black cloud which night and day hangs over Mary's heart even when she is not thinking of it. And that cloud is called Lesbos, a Greek island in the Aegean, wholly surrounded by monstrous memories. Mary Pym, wife of Magnus, counsellor for certain unmentionable matters at the British Embassy in Vienna, proudly faces her husband across Mary's silver candelabra while the servants hand round Mary's venison, jugged according to her mother's recipe, to twelve unmentionably distinguished members of the local intelligence community. Sometimes, watching Magnus perform like this, Mary was moved to involuntary pity by the absoluteness of his dedication.